morning, gentlemen. Um, I, I hope everybody appreciated that the green with the eggs was intentional. Was was intentional. Gre the green eggs and ham maybe for next time, and uh, maybe ham and cheese too. So thanks again for Steve and Bobby and all those that took to make a feast early, early in the day. The sun is rising. I've been told that there might actually be some blue sky that we will get to see again today. Um, I'm going to do a quick introduction. Um, at the end, we're going to talk a little bit more about GIC, and I think Chris is going to help with that. And um, to, to get us kicked off here this morning, um, Paul Beecham, who I have known in the choir for, uh, for I don't know, probably 15 or 20 years. All of your life. All of, all of my life, yes. Um, is, has, uh, has more than once been allowed out of the country, and if you can believe it, they let him back in. And uh, at least one of those times, maybe three of those times, he's gone to Peru and has actually gotten to meet with author on site. And so uh, with no more introduction than that, Paul, can you introduce our speaker? I am delighted to introduce to you <clears throat> a man who, uh, in my opinion, is a genuine hero. Uh, Arthur Ivey was active in his Methodist church over in Marietta and got increasingly active, and, and he and, Mar and, uh, and his wife, Mary Alice, uh, ended up becoming full-time missionaries been doing that now almost 20 years. And how long did we start? When did we start coming down there? John Pearson was organizing, and I've been down to where, where uh, Arthur's working in, in Peru, I think about seven or eight times or something like that. Uh, we went back deep in the jungle where, where the Ashaninka lived, and we went on the modern version of a dugout canoe. The modern version is a boat that's about 60 feet long, about six and a half or seven feet wide, and it's got two Johnson 75s on it. And you can go up to river all day long to get to this place. It was, it was, there's some amazing things. I'm not going to uh, uh, try to try to tell you much. Uh, Arthur knows what he's doing and has gotten uh, you, his, his capacity uh, as, as a, a person who, who could invent a, 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 something to help dry out the cocoa plants and the coffee plants. But let's let Arthur tell you about it. Arthur, please come and tell us what, what's going on. <coughs> good morning. It's good to be back with you all this morning. I know some of you know me too well. Others don't know me at all. Um, I don't remember how long Roswell United Methodist Church has been working with us, but I want to say at least 16 years. So I think so, 2006, 2004, 2006, something like that. So it's been a while. And I had the privilege when I was working as a volunteer with the North Georgia Methodist Men as a vice president of missions to work closely with your senior pastor when he was the missions pastor here, Tom Davis. So our relationship goes back even further than that, really. Um, We've been in Peru 18 and a half years now, mm. 19 and a half years. We've been on the field because our first year was a year in language school in Costa Rica, learning how to speak <laughs> Spanish. Uh, it got us a good start. It didn't get us there completely. So we've been, we're still learning as we go. And uh, we've been blessed. Uh, my children grew up. They were not born in Peru, but they went with us when we left, and they grew up down there, studied down there. They're all back here on their own now. We have three grandchildren. Um, so a lot's happened in that 18 and a half years for us. The Lord has blessed us in the ministry down there. 
with the discipleship that we've been doing since 2000, early 2006, January of 2006, we've seen that grow in ways that were miraculous for us. Uh, just briefly, we <clears throat> Beto, our my right-hand man, who has now taken over my position in the mission, um, and I stopped counting people about five or six years ago because we were having a hard time keeping up with the numbers, and it was so spread out. In addition to that, the Lord convicted us that we were not supposed to count anymore. He, he reminded us that David got in trouble for doing a census. We weren't, neither one of us were willing to give up children for counting people, so we, we, decided, we decided to stop counting, you know. But at that point, we had over 8,000 people in, in the discipleship ministry spread out over 13 of the 24 departments of the country, and that continues to grow. And we're in a process now or have been for five years of transitioning leadership so that the ministry will ultimately be totally Peruvian and won't depend on us or, or any other outside resources to continue to survive and, and function. Uh, the earlier part of this year, we had the opportunity, we actually legally, we have an organization we formed back down there many years ago in order to function. It's a nonprofit Christian organization called Fraternidad Misionero. It's Peruvian. And uh, I have been the president and executive director of that until this past uh, February when we turned that over to Alberto Fernandez and our new vice president, Pedro Duran, and our secretary treasurer, Ricardo Nattery, who had been with us most of that time, still remains in position. And they have done a fantastic job taking over the responsibility for all of the ministry. The only thing we really have left that we're working hard on is the, e is the economic side of it so that they can be economically independent as well. And I'll, I'll share a few things about that with you uh, as we go. But that basically has to do with microenterprise and a, and a farm project in which we're raising cacao, which is uh, the chocolate, and coffee. Uh, this year, that is reaching the point where the trees are maturing on both the coffee and the chocolate. So this year, we, we believe that it will pay for itself and even have a little left <coughs> over over the next two to three years. The production continues to increase, and that should be enough to sustain the ministry without having us, without needing us to provide resources for that ministry. So your prayers for that, that the Lord would give us those those harvests. Uh, one of your, well, I don't know if Leonard still goes here or not, or goes to his daughter's church now, but Leonard Scarborough is still here with y'all, one of your own. Uh, has, has introduced us to his, the company he works with, and they want to buy all the coffee we grow. We have our first significant coffee harvest uh, starting about now. They're expecting about 18,000 kilos of coffee from that harvest. Uh, we've been harvesting cacao. We have a Peruvian buyer that buys all of that right at the farm. So we're in process on the economic part of it. And my wife and I just feel inside, I don't want to put a burden on the Holy Spirit right now and say it was the Holy Spirit told me. But we feel like that within the next two years, that economic part will be taken care of. And I don't want to say the Lord told us that because I don't I don't speak for the Lord you know <laughs> he does that but uh, we feel like strongly that that will in about two years that part will be complete as well at that time we're gonna have to disappear from Juan Cayo for a little while maybe about a, two years to give the leaders the opportunity to really take over and function without us around for a while we don't know what the Lord has for us at that point in time we're thinking about maybe moving down to Lima which if any of you have ever visited us in Huancayo, know that's a significant distance time-wise from Huancayo, um, and, um, and work there for a couple of years, continue to work with medical teams and maybe some construction teams to do 
construction projects on the farm and also possibly begin to do the ministry that we've been doing, training leaders, do that training in other mission fields in Latin America that TMS Global has. So pray for that future, pray for the Lord to give us a vision for that as we work through those issues of years. I'd like to share with you basically a scripture or passage of scripture that's been guiding us through this process. Um, those of you that know us know that we were called through the resurrection of Lazarus and some other things to, to evangelism and discipleship. And uh, that's a rather, that's a longer story. Maybe sometime I'll get to share that with you again too. I've shared it here before, but basically the, the last 18 years has been concentrated in that, bringing people to Jesus Christ and raising them up into Christ and training them to be trainers of disciple makers, you know, making disciples and making disciple makers. And a passage that has guided us in the last five years comes from John chapter three. And I want to read a few of the, I don't want to read the whole uh, chapter, but I want to read the parts that really have been used, that the Lord has used to show us what he wants us to do. And uh, if you remember in John chapter three, this is where Nicodemus comes at night to meet with Jesus and ask him what you have to do to be saved. And Nicodemus is one of the Jewish leaders <coughs> And uh, we don't always know, there's a lot of guessing as to why he came at night. Maybe it's because he was off work, I don't know. Maybe it was because he didn't want to be seen, who knows? There's a lot of speculation about that. But the key question he asked Jesus was, you know, what do you have to do to be saved? And Jesus answered this from, um, from verse three. He said, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And of course we understand, but Nicodemus didn't want to understand at the moment. He probably understood, but like many of us, the moment we admit we understand, we're forced to act on what we understand. And as long as we don't understand, we don't have to do anything, right? So, <laughs> so Nicodemus kind of put off the issue. But ultimately, being born again means that, you know, we have to trust or believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And for us, that was telling us to continue to do the evangelism, continue to share, continue to work with the medical teams where we do a lot of uh, evangelism. Don't stop that. And then uh, something for me that was a real uh, eye-opener, and I didn't understand this passage until I understood this particular concept. After, at the end of his conversation with Nicodemus, uh, Jesus gives us a famous passage of uh, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I've struggled a long time, a lot longer than just this part, with the word believe. Have you ever really thought about what the word belief means or believe? To me, it has, it has a, in English anyway, it has a kind of an intellectual uh, definition or intellectual uh, significance. And I apologize, sometimes my Spanish is in the way of my English. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know... But I yet, all my life, I've always felt, all my life I've had with Christ, I've always felt like it really is much deeper than just something intellectual. And we try to, and we know intellectually that it's supposed to be deeper than just being an intellectual belief, you know. Because I believe Paul Beecham exists, I know him, you know. But I, no offense, Paul, I don't trust you to save me. <laughs> you know? <You're> lucky. <laughs> Um, and, you know, it's kind of the same with Jesus. You know, we, we've tried to use other words. You need to trust in him, you know, and what does trust mean? You know, it's the same kind of thing. It always seems to be intellectual. And not too long ago, I was asking the Lord that question again, what does the word believe? And he led me to a different understanding of that word. Uh, 
and I'm not a great English scholar, so forgive me if I don't do this well, but the word belief is made from made up of two words, be, which comes from to be, and L-I-E-F, which if you study the etymology of the word, go back in time, a valid definition of that word is love. And uh, it is still a valid definition today, but we don't often use it. So the word belief or believe means to be in love with. And um, when I read John 3.16 using that definition, now I don't know if that translates from the original Greek. You'll have to get you a Greek scholar to talk about that. I just know that's the definition of the word in English, okay? And it meant something to me. But if I read John 3.16, substituting that in, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever falls in love with him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And as I began to read that, to fall in love with Jesus, I started thinking, well, you know, I can kind of understand that, but I understand that here. It's much more than just in my brain. Because I was able to, you know, I can look at my wife. We've been married 36 and a half years now. And I can remember what I felt like when I first met her. And I know what I feel like today, which is much deeper. We use the same word, love. But what my relationship with my wife is today is very, very different than what it was uh, 36 years ago. And 36 years ago, it was great. It's even greater now. And when I think about the love relationship and how a love relationship starts, maybe not so deep, but continues to grow deeper and deeper and deeper and more and more intimate over time, then that begin, becomes more important to me in, in thinking about this, to be in love with Jesus. And, um, and so that for us, when we begin to understand, you know, understand that, connected the latter part of this chapter with the first part of this chapter, which seemed to be disconnected for us for so many years. But, you know, that just said, you know, what, what we want to do is continue to do the discipleship because our job in Peru is continue to help people be born again. We're midwives. We bring people into the kingdom. And to help raise those people up to fall in love with Jesus and to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, which is what we define as disciples. And uh, it's not just head knowledge. It's growing in a relationship, a deep relationship with the Lord Jesus. But, you know, I dated my wife for several years, but, you know, that love relationship grew and it ultimately ended up in a marriage. And that's what we see in the latter part or the middle part of chapter 3. Um, after Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, he left and went possibly up through Samaria, maybe even to Galilee, and came back and was back in Judea and Perea for, the, for a uh, Jewish festival. And uh, his disciples began to baptize in a region not too far from where John the Baptist was baptizing. And the Jewish leader wanted to stir up trouble and dissent. And so he came to John and or John's disciples and said, you know, the guy that John introduced us to a little while back is over here. They're baptizing and they're winning more disciples than you guys are. And um, it was interesting that John's reply was what God has told us we're supposed to be doing now. And I, I, in verse 26, it says this. It says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. And uh, Jesus was showing us with that last passage that it's that time for us, that we've been teaching people to fall in love with Jesus Christ. We've been teaching our leaders and discipling them for years. And now it's time for the wedding. And we're supposed to be planning a wedding feast. 
And Jesus obviously is the bridegroom. And God uses all throughout the scripture the marriage relationship to describe our relationship with him. And uh, in this case for us, the Peruvians are, are the bride. We are in the position of the friend of the bridegroom, which may be the best man. I don't know. I feel more like a father giving away the bride than I do a best man. <laughs> but uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing now. So we've been in the process over the last five years, and that process will continue uh, until it is complete, uh, where we must decrease as Christ increased, so that the relationship the Peruvians have, that love relationship with Jesus, will become complete, and they'll be totally dependent upon him rather than upon us as fallible human beings. So that's kind of where we are now in the process. Uh, I mentioned that over the past five years, we've been in this process with our leaders, transitioning the ministry over. They, are, they have taken over the ministry and are doing a fantastic job. It's growing faster than it ever did when, when we were in charge. They're bringing in more and more young people, which is we, we used to, but as we've gotten older, we've had a little trouble with that. Y'all probably understand that process. Uh, but uh, we're more like grandparents now, I guess, than we are parents. We've struggled uh, emotionally and psychologically with this because it's left a lot of holes in our lives. Uh, those of you that have had children leave home, you understand what that does and how it feels. And this feels like that again to us. Our children have all left home and now we're having to go through that emotional thing again. Uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And, um, and so we, we struggle sometimes with how we're supposed to be involved or not be involved uh, and standing back and watching things happen that we used to love to be involved in and not being able to, to be involved in right now for obvious reasons. But that's emotionally difficult for us. We're seeking the Lord on what, his, what our future is. We believe there's a future still for us in Peru. We have a number of ideas of what that might look like. We can't say for sure yet. But in the next couple of years, my wife and I feel like that we're supposed to leave Huancayo and disappear so that the, the leaders can take over completely the ministry so that people won't be trying to come around them to get to us or that they won't keep leaning on us. And they understand that they've, they agree with us on that. I, they, I, I, I asked them one time what they thought about us and our future in the ministry, and they told me, well, if you stay here, we'll just keep leaning. So they, they, that's a big step. They recognize that. And they're working together as a team, which in, I guess, in a lot of cultures unique, but in a Peruvian culture, the fact that you get people to work together in unity as a team is a really unique thing. That's a God thing, and we praise the Lord for that. So we believe God is in this and is working to its end. We're, our commitment to God when we left to go to Peru is the rest of our lives, if that's where he wants us. We still believe we had a lot of time left in Peru, um, and uh, we're looking for his guidance. I'd like to stop with that. We need your prayers to pray for us as we go through this. A quick idea. You can see some of the things. So. <laughs> uh, I'll, we'll take any questions. Any questions? Got all okay. Yes, we, Well, it's a big government. The government has changed over the years since we've been there. It's more or less democratic. Peru's rated like number 37 down from the top most corrupt country in the world, so corruption is pretty strong in Peru, government corruption. As a general rule, we don't have any problems with the government. Our organization that we formed helps us interface. It is a Christian registered, in, you know, as a Peruvian nonprofit Christian organization. Because of that, we interface with the Ministry of Health. We interface with the Ministry of Justice and are able to do a lot of things we couldn't do if we didn't have that. And they always seem to treat us with more or less respect. There's still always a little corruption factors to have to deal with sometimes. But as a general rule, we don't have any problem with the government. When we go into local communities to do medical missions, uh, one of the first things we do is approach the mayor, the governor of that area or town, 
uh, and they are open to us, be, number one, because we have the organization, number two, because we represent a social benefit to the community, and as a result of the medical campaigns, they are much more open to our presence in the communities as a Christian, ongoing Christian work, accept us. The same thing with the medical post in the community, we make the same contacts. So we have a pretty good relationship. Sometimes, you know, it's like you gotta break the ice a little bit, but it's a general rule, we don't have much trouble with the government. What other than the Lord led you through the post? Um, well, obviously the Lord, but through a, he did that through a series of things that uh, occurred in our lives. Uh, he started a call back when I was doing work with North Georgia Methodist men in Columbia, uh, using the passage on the resurrection of Lazarus. And through a number of different things showed us that he, that the rolling the stone away from Lazarus' tomb was a call to us, like it was a call to the people to evangelize or to prepare the way for the Lord to call people from death into life. He did that in my in my life as well. And then when Lazarus came out, he was bound hand and foot. And God told the people, or Jesus told the people, unbind him and let him go. He didn't do it himself, which was a call for us to disciple, to continue to help people not only be alive in Christ, but to be free in Christ. Then as I was doing work in, uh, in Peru in the, about 1997, there was an article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that a friend of mine found and gave to me when I got back. And that article was used to connect the Lazarus story directly with Peru. One of the issues was about the archaeology in Peru. And um, the big issue it kept mentioning over and over again was grave robbery. And the Lord said at the end of reading that article, said, that's what I want you to do. For the last eight years, I've been teaching you the pattern of divine grave robbery and the resurrection of Lazarus. Now I want you and your family to go to Peru. I want you to roll away stones and set my precious treasures free and bring them back into my kingdom. So that was how... The call to mission work was connected with Peru. That's how we got directed in that direction. Yes, sir. When those kids grow up, do they get out of the jungle? Are there, are there jobs there for them? And how educated? Uh, the ones in the jungle, of course, we work in mountains, jungle, and all the stuff. But the jungle for the Ashaninka that you saw, uh, it varies with the, the child and, and what they choose to do and the abilities they have. Uh, there's more education now in the jungle than used to be a good thing. In fact, uh, in the Ashaninka community and the colonial community, we are, our folks are able to do kids clubs because the government requires a class in religion, but they don't tell the directors that's done, so, we're, so we get to do that. But a lot of those children will grow, grow up and educated well enough, they'll move out and study outside and probably not come back. However, there are a lot that don't lead the path of it. Uh, there are some very educated, one of our our key leader, Bernabe, is uh, very well, but educated. He lives and they started that work and helped us get started in charge. National reduced our team down to one. He now works rather than around. I don't know what his boys will do, but they have the capability of getting away. The Ashaninka to be hunter-gatherers moved into some agri-production. Uh, sometimes they sell part of the lumber on timber on their lumber purposes, but as the most part, they survive by gathering. So they make, children may choose to stay there. They can move freely from one option to the other. They may grow up. And, but it's the way the gospel, and I'm more kind of the gospel through family. So when you bring a person to love with you, their family to the same love or like far away, as you have migration of those people to different people in love with you. So those form relations tie back to build relationships to bring us a girl that used up a pretty young man, San Martin government co-worker, some development about us, Abraham, and ultimately in a part of the relationship, obviously works and sets up the thing about it because the spirit may be <coughs> been down there a while. So 
we don't have too much trouble. We still have to be careful because they'll act on most of the terrorist acts of drug trade. Colombia is famous for being number one cocaine producer in the world, but well, it's Peru <coughs> battles for time and has been the narcotics. The good thing for us is they're not in, they're not in a, the danger in the wrong place at the wrong time. Our biggest was the church and control them. They're not in. They call them it's the same thing that really happened with the type of religious practice that are having to do with the Bible. Whereas here you hear the Bible. They used to be so strong. The Catholics, all the celebrate aligned with the festival dressing as government. It's so the real issue, the gospel, and that's what we have to people are. My wife go down to the park on Cayo. The first question we can talk to them, the first question you get asked is, what church are you? We say we're from a church. We're not. We're to talk to them. Well, what religion? Jehovah's, what are you? What are you? We're followers. Their ears perk up. and then We almost never go to the park and return hour, hour and a half in the park. We'll be for the first time we met, no matter what the wall goes, there's not a home. Marketing plan? We're already selling it. It's already sold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got two. We've got two plans. One we're working on. There's a company in St. Louis that Leonard Scarborough is connected with. Roswell. He's one of their vice presidents. We've met with them a couple of times. They want to buy all the coffee. We're still in the issue of how we get it from one place to the other, and what price they'll pay for it. And they understand it. They understand that we have another plan. We'll sell it. We sell it on the market in Pangoa because there's a lot of eggs. Right now, it's selling for a dollar ten, a dollar twenty. We call cafes or coffee bean parchment still around it in coffee but the exporter you take the parchment off and it's in coffee we sell it without taking all of the export and every better price of the process out and to them in the markets there's two marketing cacao we sell we sell all we call machi brew they chocolate sublime however you put everybody rips one of their products but they buy all the chocolate we grow and they buy it at the farm and we transportation <coughs> on premium price because the dryers you saw we have made the quality of our chocolate much higher than farmers one of our products we ferment the bags you stall on the chocolate that's artisanal we want to build a ferment that process process better and controlled and that will that's one of our few <laughs> Huh? What kind of coffee? There's three speakers. Uh, Hura, one other. So grown in. Uh, I can't write off the top of my notebook. No, because I'm a structural, civil structural. So <laughs> <laughs> never dreamed about being a missionary in the first place. And much less a farmer. So, you know, it's difficult. It's probably one of those. Like a parent, you always jump back into the life of your child. We're not allowed to get in our position either. So. You have 8,000. How does that work? Many of them. We chose a long time to try and follow the model and then acts possible. So, blast if we have a garage. What we of all those small groups right out over large, but a lot of times uh, we used to try and get grew so fast we was decide and started anybody if this person way down the line <laughs> gossip is communication too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course we have we probably have better cells on our farm in the middle of the Amazon jungle. We don't have to use solar panels. We have satellite. The gossip's even faster with several <laughs> <laughs> If you're interested, Mr. Reform, the medical team, medical and non-medical, definitely need a doctor. So if you know a doctor that's still, please give them non-medical. And I have some cards over here. If you wish to receive our email, it has our contact email newsletter. It has to send me an email. And I'll, you said you're kidding today. They were, they were involved when they were growing up, but obviously they've, they're back here now. have families, except my son is not married yet, but they have families of their own. They're working. My daughter has two oldest. My other son is thinking and his wife are coming back to Pearlstein where one is his wife. A citizenship two of my in-laws. As of right now, Joshua back is he part of Well, Arthur, I did sure. this morning. Thank Arthur this morning. And I'll ask you to close us in prayer in just a minute, Arthur. But okay. Chris, will you come up and tell us a little bit about JIC um, serving side by side this week? I went to the Free Burma Ranger movie on Tuesday night. Anybody else who was there? I saw several of you. You ought to talk to one of those folks who just raised their hand. Um, it was a moving experience. I know we're going to have some more encounters with folks who were a part of that uh, film. 
If you didn't see it, I don't know how long it's playing or when we'll get DVDs or whatever. You need to watch it. Watch it with your family. It was uh, it was a powerful way to uh, kick off uh, this activity this week. And so, Chris, will you tell us what else is going on? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, yeah, I have to echo that since Eric did that lead in. I, it was probably the most powerful movie I've ever watched. So uh, we did not go to the movie Tavern because our, our Sunday school class had booked at Avalon well before we contracted with the movie Tavern. And the theater was almost full. And... The audience just sat there stunned when the movie ended. No one moved. It was uh, it, it it was one of the most powerful demonstrations of faith that I've ever seen. So I encourage you if you get an opportunity. I'm, I know I'm trying to get a DVD that doesn't look like they're on sale yet. Uh, but uh, if we have the chance, I suspect the church will promote it even further because of our close connection with them through the Hill family and and other connections. And um, I, I can't tell you how powerful it was. Uh, Back to, to just speak about Arthur one second, you know, I've been going since the first trip to Peru, uh, whatever year that was, it's too long ago to remember, uh, Dr. Paul was along, and uh, continue to go back, and, and Arthur is so humble, he would never comment on how much they have done to drive this. Arthur's engineering skills have enabled much of this, many of these projects to move forward from plastic extrusion, bottling plants, to cacao dryers, to water systems that, that he would never mention. But, you know, God has used his ability as an engineer, which is a lesson for all of us, our own innate gifts and abilities. You can be used however, I'm on my pulpit, however you allow yourself to be used, just say yes and uh, and, and do what you're led to do. So Arthur's done that as, as a great demonstration. He's meant a lot to me and I've learned a lot from him. Uh, I grew up Catholic. Uh, the Catholic Church was appalling to me in South America. Um, it is a, it, it's an example of what happens when you convert people under force and sword point because they don't really accept. They simply change. I'll stop with that. But So serving side-by-sides this weekend, this is a culmination of four weeks of activities, uh, which is a little different than what we've done in the past. Uh, the movie this week was one of those activities. This is one of those activities for this week. Um, Saturday is a our biggest sort of communal sharing event. That's the packing of meals uh, for Rise Against Hunger. We've had an amazing turnout. 180-some people have already signed up, and we're going to pack 25,000 meals. Most of us in here have grown children, so that's not a, a, a point. But grandchildren, if you have a chance to bring your grandchildren to this event, it's an awesome event to teach them to serve. And kids as little as four, five, six can be runners to participate in serving others, and it's just a great teachable moment if you if you choose to do that. We'll find room for you to help, even if you haven't signed up. So uh, we'll ask that. That's at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, uh, and uh, we have set up at 9 if anyone wants to come early and help set up. Uh, then Sunday, people have asked about what's the schedule for Sunday. There'll be a handout when you get to church. Uh, we're in the process of changing our website, so some of that was a little difficult this year. But Sunday morning, all three services are going to highlight uh, one of the members of the Eubanks family, which is Free Burma Rangers. So uh, Shahali uh, is going. Shahali is going to speak at uh, uh, in the in the worship uh, down down the hill at uh, both 9:30 and 11. And her sister Suzanne is going to speak at Chapel Roswell at 11. So please don't miss one of those. I know uh, Arthur's going to speak at uh, at uh, Bereans. And Scott Pruitt, right? Is that the right name? Yeah. Scott Parrish from um, the North Georgia 
uh, conference mission director is going to speak at CUC. So please attend as many events as you can. Encourage people, you know, I know you guys are all faithful attenders, but uh, encourage people that don't know about this to come and experience some of this stuff. So it's just a great opportunity, and we hope uh, we hope you'll all participate. So thank you. Anything else that we've forgotten? Thanks for being here this morning, Mary. Will you come close us in prayer, Arthur? And you know, we're not allergic to Spanish. Most of us don't understand it, but we know it when we hear it. Well, uh, you, are you asking about <laughs> allergic to Spanish? Uh, I'm opening the floor to you. Okay. As the Spirit leads. Entonces, oramos. Padre Celestial y Precioso Señor Jesucristo, te doy gracias por ese día. Gracias por ese grupo de, de hombres de fe que están acá para... Uh, Darle agradecimiento por su obra en la vida de ellos y en el mundo, Señor. Mueve en cada corazón acá para seguir dándole salud y habilidad de extender tu reino acá en los Estados Unidos, tanto en los otros países del, del, del mundo, Señor. Por favor, venga hoy día, bendice a cada uno, Señor. Glorifícate en nuestros corazones y ayudarnos a, a caer más y más en amor contigo cada día. En tu nombre precioso, Señor Jesucristo, oramos. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father.